The poor people of Loreto in Baja California have been hit hard by the COVID-19 virus shutdown, and they need food. Friendship with God is delivering food directly to their homes. Go to www.friendshipwithgod.org and look for the Loreto Need banner to donate or call 619-599-1104. God bless you. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Ezekiel 3, verse 5, Ezekiel 3, 5. And God clarifies it, who he's sending him to. He says, for thou art not sent to a people of strange speech, not Hebrew, and of a hard language, but to the house of Israel. Not to many people of a strange speech and of a hard language, whose words thou canst not understand, like the pygmies, spees going to the pygmies. Surely, had I sent thee to them, they would have hearkened unto thee. But the house of Israel will not hearken unto thee for they will not hearken unto me. You know what God's saying here? Welcome to the boat. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. Then, then what happened is that God promised Ezekiel, from this passage here, God, God says, I'm making a promise to you, Ezekiel. They're not gonna listen to you. Israel promised Ezekiel that Israel would not respond to the message, to his message from God. If Ezekiel had a message from God, which he did, they wouldn't respond. If Israel responds, it wasn't God's message because God had said they will not respond to, this, to my message. God promised Ezekiel that from his conversion rate that Ezekiel would be a dismal failure. And from that, Ezekiel should have, should, he should have not only been depressed, he should have been dis, dismally depressed, like me. And, and, and I think we should call anyone who gets discouraged from the conversion rate among the Jewish evangelism, Jewish evangelism, as suffering from the Ezekiel depression syndrome. <laughs> and, and I've suffered from the Ezekiel depression syndrome because of the low conversion rate. And anyone who's worked in Jewish evangelism has suffered from the Ezekiel depression syndrome because of the low conversion rate. So I ask you, why do this? Why do Jewish evangelism? You know, there's, a, there's a, a Baptist church we've visited several times. They have so many conversions among the Mexican people there that they wrote one time in their, their letter, their newsletter, it only costs $1 per soul for Mexican people to get saved. That's what they said. It only costs $1 per soul. Now, when I read that, I read $1 per soul. Wow. 
Now, let's see how much it costs Israel restoration for a Jewish soul to get saved. It doesn't cost $1 per soul. It costs $1 million per soul, $1 to $3 million per soul. Now, I'm a businessman, and I'm focused on ROI, return on investment. So let's see. If it costs $1 per soul in Mexico to get somebody saved and $1 to $3 million to get a Jewish person saved, which one is the better return on investment? Mexican evangelism or Jewish evangelism? So I ask the question, why, again, why does Jewish evangelism make sense? Why does it make sense? It could be like Bernie Sanders. It makes no sense. What's wrong with us? What's wrong with us? Why don't we just listen to the other Sanders, Gabriel Sanders, from the Orthodox Temple, who says that our conversion rate among the Jewish people is a dismal failure? Why do we keep trying to convert Jews when it is such a dismal failure? If the conversion rate among Jews is such a dismal failure, as Mr. Gabriel Sanders says, why do we continue? Why don't just give up? Give up. Give up. Why do we continue? Why do we continue to, to, to beat our heads against the wall and to suffer this Ezekiel depression syndrome? And maybe some of you are saying, I don't know. I think I'm going to walk out right now. Because the question is going to be answered in the Bible. The question is going to be answered in the Bible. It seems like such a waste of time to evangelize the Jews. Why should we do it? And the answer to that of why do a Jewish evangelist is simply that God wants to solve the greatest problem that the world has. And God has set the Jews as a vital part of solving that problem. If you were to ask people today, what's the greatest problem that man faces? The greatest problem that man faces. Many people would say, well, that's easy. The greatest problem that man faces is world peace. If we can just bring peace to the Middle East, if the great deal maker can make the deal in, in uh, Donald Trump in, in the Middle East and in the Korean Peninsula and all the world and we had peace, that would solve man's greatest problem. But world peace is not man's greatest problem. And others would say, well, no, I know what it is. It's poverty and hungry. If we can hunger, if we can just find a way to bring everyone out of poverty, to make sure everyone has enough food, that will solve the world's greatest problem. But eliminating poverty, eliminating hunger is not man's greatest problem. Others would say, no, the greatest problem that man has is that he's destroying the environment. This global warming, it's pollution of the oceans and of the air and it's extinction of species and, and, and if we could just find a way just not to destroy the environment but to live in harmony with nature, not destroy nature, that would solve man's greatest problem, but that's not. Eliminating pollution and living in harmony with nature is not man's greatest problem. Others would say it's social disease. It's social disease that causes this violence like, like all these killings that happened down there in Santa Fe High in Texas, all that violence, all this, this discord. If we just find a way for everyone to be happy with themselves and with each other, that would solve man's greatest problem. But no, that's not man's greatest problem. Others would say that man's greatest problem comes from himself that causes him not to like himself and, and wish that he was somebody else and hate those who don't like him. We can just find a way for man to be happy with himself, be content, and have self-esteem. But that's not. That's not man's greatest problem either. All of these problems are not man's greatest problem. Man's greatest problem stems from the greatest tragedy that happened to man. And that tragedy is very simply put in Genesis 3, verse 6. In Genesis 3, verse 6, where, where when man fell into sin through one act of disobedience to God, described in, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, 
She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. One act, one act with that one act where God said, don't do it, don't do it. And the devil said, oh, but instead of God, you can become as gods. Instead of God, you can know good and evil. Instead of God, you can be wise. And with that one act, all of mankind acquired at that time his greatest problem, a sinful nature. When man's first parents, when our first parents fell into that desperate state of sin, the greatest problem of sin was passed on to every person who's been born from a man and a woman. And the consequences of that is vast and it's ongoing. Man's greatest problem is what the Bible calls the wages of sin in, in Romans 6.23. The Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death, is death. Ezekiel 18.20, Ezekiel 18.20 says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. That's true. There are no exceptions to those consequences. Sin must be judged and judgment is death. Man's greatest problem is that he's on death row. That's man's greatest problem. And he's heading for what the Bible calls the second death, or hell, which is described in Revelation 20, verse 14. Revelation 20, verse 14 says, death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. That's the second death. Man's greatest problem is that he is going right down the middle of the road to a place that wasn't even created for him. It was created for the devil and his angels. He's heading down that road to be suffering with them, with the devil and the demons. That's man's greatest problem. Man's greatest problem is that he will be forever separated from God. Like it says in Matthew 25, 41. Matthew 25, 41. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. That's man's greatest problem. His sins... His, man's greatest problem is that his sins have made him to, be, to arrive in hell. And the arrival in hell is described as waking up, a waking up in hell. It's a place where it's described as eternal shame, eternal contempt by God in, in Daniel 12.2. Daniel 12.2. Many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake to shame and everlasting contempt. It is so terrible, it's continuing, it's never ending. The punishment never ends. It says in Matthew 25, 46, Matthew 25, 46, these shall go away into everlasting punishment. There's no such thing as purgatory. There's no such thing as a temporary place. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches in 2 Thessalonians 1, 8, 2 Thessalonians 1, 8, in flaming fire, place, hell is a place called flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. It is so horrible. It, it is a place where sin, which is largely kept in restraint. What happened in Texas is where, where the inhibitions were thrown off, the, the, restraint, the restraint was thrown off, but hell is a place where that's all gone. All the inhibitions are gone. All the restraints are gone. And so what we see in Revelation 21.8, Revelation 20.8, is a blossoming of sin in a horrible place where it says, but the fearful and unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, whoremongers, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars, shall have their part in the lake of fire, which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. 
It's this continual suffering which is makes hell so horrible that the Lord spoke about in Matthew 13, 49. Matthew 13, 49, so shall it be at the end of the world, the angels shall come forth, sever the wicked from among the just, and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. It's such a terrible place that the Lord Jesus said, knowing what that place was like, the Lord Jesus says, it's better for a person to lose a hand, to lose a foot, and to lose an eye, rather than to be cast into hell. That's what he said in, in Mark 9:43 passage, Mark 9:43. He talked about it's better. It's better than to be cast into the fire which never shall be quenched, than to be, be in, the, in the place where the worm dieth not. These are his descriptions. It's better than, than that where there's gonna be a place of wailing and gnashing of teeth. It's all this repetition that the Lord Jesus did in those passages. It's repeating it because he's emphasizing this is bad, this is really bad. This is man's greatest problem. And following a short time of existence on earth, then there is eternity. That's a real problem. That's a real problem that make all the other problems we talked about really nothing. Now, that problem of man being judged for eternity in hell for his sins is so horrible that God immediately flew into action. There's a hymn that we sometimes sing where it says, he saw me plunged in deep distress and flew to my relief. That's God. And that happened in, in, in Genesis 3.15. As soon as the fall came, and what happened is that God made a way for man to avoid hell. And, and where Adam and Eve heard God say to the devil, because they were in earshot, and he said to the devil in Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, thou shalt bruise his heel. This is God's way to save man from hell. Through the seed of the woman, he's the Lord Jesus Christ. God himself coming to earth as a man, born of a woman, the only man, the only man that was perfect, taking on himself all the sins of the world, as it says in 1 John, 1 John 2, 2, 1 John 2, 2, he is the propitiation, he is the covering sacrifice for our sins, not for ours only, but for also for the sins of the whole world, for the whole world. Now, what happened in the Garden of Eden? The devil moved on the chessboard on the chessboard, he moved to tempt man to sin, and man took the bait and sinned. Then God moved on the chessboard that he would come as a man. He would die for the sins of the whole world. The devil's first move was to entice man to sin, and it worked, and he took the bait, and now we all sin. Like it says in Isaiah 53.6, Isaiah 53.6, all we like sheep have gone astray We've turned everyone to his own way. That was our move. And now the Lord's move. And the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Immediately, God made his move. Immediately. So, what happened? And then God was motivated, motivated by love, motivated by love as the Lord Jesus speaking about what the Father had done with him. And he says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son, his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish in hell, but have everlasting life in heaven. God sent, his, the, the devil was a deceiver. And so all the while, while he's proposing, he's proposing to man, he's saying to men, you'll be as gods, you'll be wise, 
You'll know good and evil. This is something you really want. He's proposing this. And then, but what he's really doing is he's, he's behind him and said, open the doors of hell wide. I've got them. He's proposing this. He's proposing life and great things, but he's really planning death for man. That's what happened. But God, totally different. God says, no. God says, I am not gonna let that happen. I am going to send my son who will have all of the sins of the world placed on him and he will die for their sins so that they should not go through those big wide open doors to hell. But I am going to, with his blood, open the doors of heaven for man. That's wonderful and that's what God was doing. That's a universal love for all men and he wasn't just speaking of a part of the world that God loved when God said, for God so loved the world. He's speaking about the whole world. It's a universal love that God has for the world. Universal love for all men. And that's what the angel said when the Lord Jesus came and was born. They, they said in Luke 2.14, Luke 2.14, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. All men, toward men. God's desire is for there to be peace, not just peace on part of the earth, but it was for all the earth. God's will was not just that there should be goodwill toward some men, but for all men, for all men. And God did this great salvation because God is love in 1 John 1.8, 1 John 4.8, 1 John 4.8. 1 John 4.8 says God is love, God is love. And in Titus 3.4, Titus 3.4, after the kindness and love of God our Savior, toward man appeared. It's a university, universality, universality of God's love. It talks about this in 1 Timothy 2.4. 1 Timothy 2.4 asks the question, and it's like, well, does God just want some people to be saved and not others? No, 1 Timothy 2.4 says that God will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. All men to be saved, all men not just the elect part of men, but all men. God wants all men to be elect. And God hates this idea of any person going to hell so much, so much that his will is spoken about, God's will is spoken about when it says in 2 Peter 3.9, 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So we've gotta settle it once and for all and reject this notion about God only wants some men to be saved because the Bible's clear. The Bible's clear in John 3, 16 when it says God so loved the whole wide world, all, all. God wants all the world to be saved. That's God's purpose. That's, he wants to save the world. That's God's purpose. It never changed. It never changed. And don't let anyone tell you all this nonsense about he only loves the elect. Now that's the first point is that God wants to save all the world. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ has come. He has solved man's greatest problem of being cast into hell. God has solved this problem with his perfect salvation. And that raises the next question. How's he gonna do it? How is God going to save the world? How's God gonna save? What is God's plan? What's the plan, Lord, for a man to bring this knowledge to man of, of, of the great salvation plan as we just sang about? Waft, wafty, salvation, salvation. What's the plan? What's the plan to do that? That's God's will to save the world that he loves, so how does God plan on doing that? This is where God's promises to Abraham come in. Because, and this is where it is so important what God promised to Abraham when he said in Genesis 12, when he said in Genesis 12, in Genesis 12 is where we get the first 
words that we can listen to in Genesis 12 of what God said to Abraham. And he said in Genesis 12, 1, the Lord said unto Abram, get thee out of thy country, from thy kindred, from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And he goes on, he says, I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. There's many promises here that God made to Abraham, but the one that is, that is important for our question, our question, how does God plan to save the world, is in this promise in Genesis 12, 3, in thee, Abraham, shall all families of the earth be blessed. All families of the earth is the whole wide world. And we've seen how God wants to save the whole wide world, and Abraham is told that his descendants are going to be this blessing to the whole wide world and all families of the earth. So when God talked to Abraham about all the families of the earth being blessed, God was talking about the whole world that he wants to save. And God is considering, there's another time it comes about where God is considering, I wonder if I should tell Abraham what I'm gonna do in Sodom. He said, no, I will tell him, I will tell him. And he says that in Genesis 18, 17, Genesis 18, 17, where it says, the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do, seeing that Abraham shall become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? Yes, God says, yes, I won't hide from Abraham what I'm gonna do when I'm gonna, uh, planning to destroy Sodom, because through Abraham, all the nations of the whole world are gonna be blessed. That's the whole world that God wants to save. So when Abraham has this son, Isaac, God then steps into Isaac and said, Isaac, you too. In, in Genesis 26.4, Genesis 26.4, he says, he said to Isaac, in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Again, that's the whole world that God wants to save. And, and then he steps in for, 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 for Jacob, and, he, and Jacob, the son of Isaac, he says, Jacob, you too. In Genesis 28, 14, Genesis 28, 14, when he said to Jacob, in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Again, that's all the families of the earth that God wants to save. So to each one of these three patriarchs, it starts out, which is the genesis of the Jewish people, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the same promise is made over and over again and then passed on to the seed, the Jewish people. God would bless the whole world. That's the whole world that God wants to save through the Jewish people. So the Jewish people expand. They become a nation, a nation of Israel now in Egypt, a very unique nation, very unique nation, as it says in 2 Samuel 7.23, where it says, what nation in the earth is like thy people? even like Israel, whom God went to redeem for a people to himself and to make him a name. See, the uniqueness of the Jewish people is that God went to redeem them to be a people to himself and to make him a name. And he says in, in Exodus 9.16, Exodus 9.16 is about Israel. In very deed for this cause have I raised thee up, for to show in thee my power and that my name may be declared throughout the whole earth. So the Jewish people are gonna be the people that declare the name of God throughout the whole earth. There's only one name given under heaven whereby anyone must be saved. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. That they may declare the name of the Lord Jesus Christ throughout all the earth. He went on to speak in Exodus 19.6, Exodus 19.6, speaking about the Jewish people. He said, you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests. 
a holy nation. Kingdom of priests. What is a priest? A priest is a person who represents man to God. A prophet, like we just talking about Ezekiel, is a person who represents God to man. A priest is when, is when it, we see a priest in, in when Moses intercedes and says, God, please don't destroy Israel. Priest Moses. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. The poor people of Loreto in Baja California have been hit hard by the COVID-19 virus shutdown, and they need food. Friendship with God is delivering food directly to their homes. Go to www.friendshipwithgod.org and look for the Loreto Need banner to donate or call 619 599 1104. God bless you.